Yeah, it's a little little bit of normalcy. Got to take it where you, you can know. get it. Damn right. That's right. Deep down my throat. <laughs> On that note, let's do a podcast. <laughs> All right. This is episode 68 of GearBuds Podcast, and you're here with your GearBuds, Henry and Dave, and we have two guests on the phone today, Mr. Josh Kelvillage and Mr. Max Crow from the band Hand Practices. What's up, dudes? Welcome, guys. Hey, thanks thanks for for having us. us. Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yes. Thanks for thanks for being on. These we're we're gonna get into their their new record, Magnum Dopus, which is fucking awesome and the best name ever uh, as the show goes on. But first, we're gonna dive into the Symphony of Corrections, and here's your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening far and wide. Follow us Instagram, Facebook, subscribe, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever the fuck. Uh, updated the old gearbudspodcast.com slash free stuff. Uh, there's another synth uh, plugin that I'm pretty excited about by Disco DSP, and that is an Oberheim OBX clone that is Ooh. now available for nice. you to check out for free. Sounds pretty awesome. It actually even has more functionality than just the the hardware unit because it's a computer plugin, and you can do computer plugin stuff. So I'll put that link up there for you to go check out and download because it's really cool. Cool. Uh, in our in our new favorite sub segment, uh, which is bad <laughs> fucking ideas, I've got a couple updates for you here. Uh, there was a hardcore show on Long Island uh, recently, and in order to sort of skirt the uh, indoor concert ban stuff that's going on, they forced every person. Uh, uh, their, their admission was purchasing a chili cheese dog at the door oh, because then that way stop it becomes virus. a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, please just don't go to shows indoors like that right now. It's just uh, not a good fucking idea. The videos were a little scary. And also, I just I have to add, uh, it was a, a five-band bill. Three of the bands, their first show ever. <laughs> oh, that wow. Is so, classic like hardcore high, show high situation. High school kids or something or what? I, you know, I didn't, I don't, I didn't really, I, I watched one video and it was a, you know, sort of mediocre breakdown. And I was like, and there was a kid doing cartwheels and stuff. I'm like, yeah, you know, I miss, I miss hardcore I and moshing too. But like that just, uh, I don't know that uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna risk it for, uh, for a breakdown. <laughs> I cannot think of a better genre of music to, uh, to put on a show of in quarantine times than one that's real mosh pit intensive and involves yeah. a lot of sweat and spit flying around. He exactly. Sounds right. Yeah. Uh, Especially after that and, eating uh, chili dogs. Smash Mouth. Yeah. Oh, I will yeah, say they, this. Let me say this about Smash Mouth because I have seen them live. I went to. <laughs> Hold on. I love a conversation that starts with "Let me say this about Smash Mouth." Go I ahead. went Can to. Can I take a guess what the encore was? Um, I don't know if I stayed the whole time because they were the last band of the set, and um, it was the Ravinia stuff that Mark McGrath always puts on. Classic oh, yeah. Ravinia band, right there. Smash and yeah. I went there solely uh, because I was in a Twitter. Maybe it was a one-sided Twitter feud with Mark McGrath, <laughs> but he did. Maybe. He did tweet at me several times um, throughout the course of the year. Um, sometimes to thank me for my support, sometimes to diss me. <laughs> uh, it was never consistent. Was this by any chance the the Yo Dog Twitter? Yes, uh, that's the only Twitter okay, I have. Perfect. There you go. But um, yeah, uh, Sugar Ray played fourth, and then Smash Mouth closed the night and. Uh, like Vertical Horizon was there. Oh my god! I, I was just oh, gonna wow. make. I was just gonna joke that Vertical Horizon must have been on the bill, and then you said it. <laughs> oh my god! And I think Fastball well, and the Gin Blossoms. They're everything you need. 
You said Gin Blossoms uh, closed it out? Uh, gin Blossoms were like first. Oh, right. They opened. Uh, okay. I think Fastball oh, was there. Have fallen. And everybody was fine, but Smash Mouth took it up a level. Like, everybody just played their songs, but Smash Mouth put on a real fucking show. Um, <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta hand it to them, man. They're real professionals. It, like, they were adding, like, wizardry solos to everything and, like, extending their songs out. And I, I'd recommend seeing Smash Mouth live if you haven't. Okay. Yeah, I'd probably see Smash well, Mouth. You know what? If you're at Stur- Sturgis this weekend, you have the chance uh, because what? there are 250,000 bikers in Stur- at Sturgis, South D- Dakota right now. And uh, one of the the evenings, I don't know, maybe it was last night, maybe it's tonight, Smash Mouth is playing, no Buck Cherry's way. playing. Oh, Buck Cherry? No way. Smash Wrapped. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. There was and there was one other too, sort of notable name. We we've talked a lot of shit about this uh, in previous episodes. Go back and listen yeah. to those. Smash Mouth is huge in the biker community. I hear. Yeah, old. I mean, that's what gets my my heart revving. I I think that was that was the original inspiration for uh, Easy Rider, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, Smash Mouth catalog classic. Uh, excellent. Uh, don't go to shows. Don't eat cheese dogs at shows. Uh, oh, but you, what you should do, and I'm going to tell you this. And I realize that a lot of people are going to hear this list of people and be like, I'm never listening, but I've got to tell you. So Dave and I were talking about this earlier in the week. Uh, there was this benefit for Crew Nation recently that uh, Nuno Betancourt put on on AXS TV or Access. I don't fucking know. I don't have TV, but it was on something called AXS TV. Oh, yeah. And uh, th- I guess there's sort of this like other G3 thing called Generation X that goes on. Okay, and so he Nuno was joined by his Generation X cohorts: Steve Vai, Zach Wild, Ingve Malmstein, Tosin Abasi, and I shit you not, Brian May. Yeah, for a six a six guitar Bohemian Rhapsody yep. with some piano, <laughs> drums, and uh, uh, bass as well. Exactly, it was and awesome. It's fucking awesome. It's so good. It's like it's not as super needle noodle wanky as you would imagine by hearing all those people. Um, they pretty much stick to the melodies pretty well. And then and then once the actual Bohemian Rhapsody solo at the end of the sort of A section whatever comes out, that's when Brian May shows up yeah. and he just busts out a fucking awesome, basically note for note version of the solo. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, there's not a ton of room for wankery in that song, so that's a good choice. Yeah. 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 They, they pretty they played it pretty close to like the actual melody and everything. You know. You know, the one thing the one thing that bothered me a little bit is that, you know, of all of those guitarists, you know, in terms of sort of modern guitarists, Tosin is for sure my favorite. Dude, he but he got is off. almost not in there. Yeah. He, he he shows up like for four notes and it, and it's just like and within, you know, a five part harmony going on. Yeah. I, I noticed that too and I wanted to bring that up, Henry. I was like, our boy Tosin kinda got ripped off on that one, man. Yeah, dude. But either way, you should post that shit on the Facebook this week because okay. we'll um, that was a good video for people to shred too yeah. uh lastly uh just visit save stages.com if you haven't already we've been telling you every week this is you know a tough time for for people in the production live sound music industry and save has some really actionable ways for you to participate and make sure your favorite venues stay open so go do that and now i get to do my favorite thing every week and that is throw it over to my buddy dave for dave's docs dave's docs man coming in hot this week um Kind of hot, actually. We got a new one. Um, I didn't even know about this. I guess it's been around since 2015. It's on Netflix. It's a Frank Sinatra documentary. I don't know. Have you guys seen this? No. It's. Um, no, I have not. So it's like his whole life story. It's two parts, and I think it's like each part's like two hours. I've only watched an hour of it, to be honest, so I'm not going to give What's it. What's it called? Like, it's called Sinatra All or Nothing at All. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, 
It's um, it's like his whole story, man. I mean, it's like I'm he's only like 20 years old right now, like at, at where I'm at in the movie. Um, but he's just starting to get like drunk and stuff. So I think it's going to get really good. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited, man. I know he gets all tied up in the mafia and, you know, we've all heard stories about, you know, Sinatra and like his, yeah, that's basically to... the one thing that I know about Frank Sinatra is he could have you whacked if he didn't like you. Yes. Yeah. So they're starting to get into that. Like there was already like a lawsuit from like the original band member he played with. Um, and you know, they, they took care of that problem. You know, let's just say that. So uh, I can't give it a full rating yet because I haven't watched well, it. Well, let all. me let me ask then. Yes. Let me ask. Be coming into this before it, were you already a fan of Frankie Blue Eyes? Yeah, I've got two of his records. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan, man. You got to be in the right mood for it. But you know, you can put that shit on and just kind of just kind of croon the day away. You know, so I actually got really excited. A friend of mine recommended it to me and um, just started watching it. But yeah, like I said, it's gonna be like four hours of material. So. We're gonna we're gonna do some deep some deep digging into that one, but uh, well, I look forward to that digging. That's yeah, gonna happen someday. Yeah, right now, yeah, right now it's good. We'll probably do a follow up uh, next episode um, about the rest of it. But if if you guys haven't heard, and if you're listening to this now, there's a Sinatra documentary on Netflix. I would definitely definitely recommend it so far for sure. You would definitely recommend at least the first half of it. Yeah, the first quarter of it, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right, party on. Party on. Wayne. Uh, well, it sounds like it's time for some riff library, and I'm going to talk about one of my favorite records that I didn't find out about until last year, uh, but it came out in 1976, and that is Mort Garson's Mother Earth's Plantasia. This was an album record- recorded, and this is on the cover, quote, Four Plants and the People Who Love Them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The first album uh, made on the West Coast recorded using just a Moog modular. The entire thing is Moog modular synth, which Ooh. is pretty fucking awesome. It is a collection of avant-garde compositions, which has become this sort of like cult classic among electronic music folk. Um, I first heard about it last year because Sacred Bones Records uh, reissued it for its, I guess that would be 20 fifth-ish anniversary or something uh and then they did a performance at the garfield park conservatory here in chicago where they had stages set up and then sort of like famous and local electronic musicians do either some of them were sort of pretty faithful renditions of it but then some were sort of like more jammy versions of the songs on this record uh in in the in a giant conservatory with plants all around and then before that they actually piped the record throughout the whole place and you could just like walk around all stoned or i guess i could walk around all stoned (laughs) listening to this record uh with a bunch of plants swaying in the in the scenery so that was pretty rad sorry i missed that that sounds great yeah that's super it was super it was super cool in fact there are a couple people uh that perform there that i have reached out to to be on the podcast but we have never actually sort of landed that down but maybe in the future um this is this is my one of my favorite things about it the original pressings of the record were only available either with a purchase of a plant from some store called mother earth uh or a Simmons mattress from Sears. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't make that up if I tried. Uh, they, um, the last thing I'll say about it though is that, and I and I feel very sort of vindicated from for having read this. I was uh, there. There's another pressing that's come out this year, and that's why I even thought to include it this week. And uh, in reading about it, one of the things that I'd always felt is that there are a few things that happen um, melodically throughout the record that I feel like have been completely ripped off by some other people. And one of those things was the song Zelda's Lullaby from Legend of Zelda, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And in this recent review, the, the reviewer mentions that it bears a striking resemblance to one of the songs called Concerto for a Philodendron. Uh, and that is the direct sort of lineage of Ocarina of Time. So I feel personally vindicated that I've always thought that Hideo Kojima had sort of ripped off not Hideo Kojima what's his name uh Hideo Kojima is the Metal Gear guy yeah um 
why can't I? Th- oh man, I'm really blowing my Zelda cred right here. But the <laughs> composer of all the Zelda and Mario music, uh, I think he got it from our boy Mart. Mort. So go check it out. I'll throw it in the Spotify playlist that I have running. Mort Garson's Mother Earth's Plantasia. Nice. Yeah, Max. Yeah, you in particular. As I was also, I, Josh. I think you'll like it too. But as I was putting this together, I was like, oh, this is this is a record for Max for sure. Yeah. It sounded like a record for Max that <laughs> I would also enjoy, but not as much. I like the sound of a modular synthesizer. That's for sure. You sure do. Well, all right. That's enough of our usual segments. So now it's time to to talk to our friends Josh and Max here a little bit more. And this is a, a segment that we like to call a couple two tree randos because this is where I ask you a couple two tree rando questions here. So um, this goes. These are going to go to both of you. Uh, if you could swap places with any band member, past or present, from any band, despite yours or their talent levels, who would it be and why? Hmm. That's an excellent question. Uh, I think I'm going to say that I would love to have uh, taken Kavas Tarabi's place in Cardiacs for their uh, final live lineup because uh, I really like playing along to his parts on the on the handful of records that he's on. Is he uh, is he like a lead guitar player in that band? Yeah, he's he's a he's this guy. He's he's an interesting character. He was born in Tehran but grew up in Plymouth, England, and he's this like total like. Uh, like sort of psychedelic he has this sort of psychedelic shaman kind of vibe about him um lots of different musical projects uh like and the progressive and psychedelic kind of uh uh into the spectrum um he's currently the the front man of gong the current incarnation of gong. oh wow yeah. okay uh yeah he was asked to david allen uh sort of anointed him to uh to carry on with gong after uh david passed away um, I was lucky enough to see his incarnation of Gong in Salisbury, England last year. Uh, R.I.P. Live music. Uh, let's hope you come back soon. Yes, um, and uh, anyway, so he's a he's a good, good real good guitar player. Um, uh, usually plays a Gretsch White Falcon. Uh, looks very distinctive on him. Uh, you know, especially with the you know kind of crazy psychedelic uh, '70s shirts that he sort of, sort of favors. And um, uh yeah it's just uh like the the stuff that he does is sort of on the upper bounds of my skill level but i can more or less do it uh which is a lot more fun than you know dealing with a guitar player who is leaps and bounds beyond my skill level that just makes me feel bad i understand that completely, good max yeah very good choice uh, and people should listen to cardiacs unfortunately um you know not to open a fresh wound here but the uh, sort of i guess you could call him the main driving force tim smith recently yeah. passed away from that group mm. so um if you haven't already and i'm sh- and i feel like cardiacs are just a band that people don't know about for some reason especially here in yeah. the united states i'm saying here as if people we don't have listeners across the globe which we do back Hey-o. off uh, you should listen to cardiacs because they're fucking awesome and they do some really wild shit that you've probably heard other people be inspired by uh, that was my little cardiac uh, plug there, Josh. Which member of Smash Mouth would you be? Um, I, I don't think I would want to ruin that vibe. I mean, I that's that's totally fair. I'd feel Josh weird. doesn't have any tips to frost. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I could just frost the front of my forehead. Uh, <laughs> you can frost your mustache. Frost your Fu Manchu. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that would work. Um, but yeah, I don't think I could. I would want to replace someone in a band I liked because that might ruin it a little bit yeah. for me. Um, maybe a band I liked 
like back in high school that I don't think is as great now, but um, but I'll always have like respect for because I dug them so much in high school uh, or back before I was an adult and like stopped idolizing people in bands. But maybe just because I learned all the parts and thought this band had such a great mystique, like Adam Jones and Tool. I, I had a feeling you were going to go there. I kind of did too. I, I, I almost, I almost said that. That's interesting. Wow. Why? So it, it's, is it just, is it because you like playing the parts? Is it because you think he looks cool with the Les Paul custom? Like what makes you want to sort of fill that role? I mean, I, I'm a Fender guy. I have, I like the sound of Gibson guitars, but my hands are small. So I like a smaller neck on a guitar and I don't like having a lot of gear which his his sound is very Welcome tone to Podcast.com. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are. Uh, I used to have a lot, and then I was like, it's so yeah, much easier did. to carry, like, two or three pedals and yeah. uh, just play the same sound every time. Like, everyone else in the band, like, uh, well, Max only has two pedals uh, on the drums. <laughs> uh, but uh, Sometimes our, three. Our other guitarist, Pat, is huge on like pedals and like soundscaping stuff and um robbie on bass is kind of the same way um like everybody in the band is primarily a guitarist Mm -hmm. um but both of them seem to come in with like hey i got this new pedal that i want to try out every time and the sound's never consistent because of that but it's always fun what you can achieve noticed that about our practices that there's an awful lot of uh tweaking that goes on uh, between the two of them uh, seemingly every rehearsal. It's nice that uh, uh, Pat for a while has been um, pretty constant with his use of the, um, uh, what's it called, the Marshall Studio 20. It's the it's that uh, JCM 800 like mini head that they put out. Oh, uh, or no, it's yeah. not the head, it's the combo. Um, I gotta say, that thing sounds really good. It, it has that sound. And, you know, once he got that, he uh, mercifully uh, kind of have, has stuck with it for a while. But uh, hell yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like I did a hell of a job booking guests this mm-hmm. week uh, with the with the band members that don't want to talk about gear. Cool. <laughs> oh, I'll talk uh, about gear. So hey, jo- <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, we will definitely be we will definitely be talking about some more gear. Uh, let's keep the couple two tree rando train rolling here. Josh, what was your first concert? Um, I heard this question and I was trying to think of what it was because I all the concerts I went to like first weren't concerts they weren't big like events or anything it was mostly hardcore shows that my friends bands were in and you could get in for the price of a chili cheese dog (laughs) (laughs) like the first one excellent excellent callback yeah the first one i remember going to was uh like my friend dave's band uh from high school called lenore and they had like this community center um rented out and um it was just like a bunch of high school bands in a basement. Classic. Um, and yeah. high school like, bands in the community center. I love that. Um, Hell yeah, Max. What about you? Weird Al Yankovic, baby. <laughs> no way. <laughs> really? Hell yeah. On the uh, Bad Hair Tour, uh, 1997, I want to say. Dude, that is absolutely incredible. Yeah, he was great. And, and, I mean, and, of course and truly great. speaks so much to what I know of you. So yeah, that's, that's it's, uh, it's, an, it's, an appro- <laughs> yeah, it's an appropriate choice for me. 
Um, because I already know you guys, I know the answer to this one, at least uh, Max's end, uh, which is, this is normally when I ask, do you do an impression or an accent? But Max, I, I'm already aware of yours. So will you just give us your, uh, your Futurama? Uh, would you like to hear from Dr. Zoidberg? <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, Mac, di- didn't you actually audition to do that voice when that was a thing? <laughs> yeah, sort of. Uh, it, so what that, what I think that actually was, was a, uh, uh, was like a negotiating move on the on the part of the uh, whoever made the show to uh, to to call the uh, the bluff of the I think it was a union thing like the they were on strike or something like that uh, I, I can't remember sure. exactly what it was so it was like all right we'll call your bluff and audition people to uh, to replace you and uh, there there was like an open audition that my uh, actress friend told me about and so I went into this this uh, office in the South Loop and read a few lines into a microphone and uh, and that was a kind of a fun lark and that was it. Hell yeah, sweet, Josh. What do you, do you got? One? Do you do? Josh, do you do an impression or an accent? I can't. I'm not sure. Um, not very regularly. Um, maybe you'll remember. I was in this band called Sacred Row of the Ancient Psychedelic Monks. Ooh. And uh, rules. <laughs> right. I I might have I might have been in that band. You never know. And yeah, for our shows, um, we sampled a bunch of uh, yes. a bunch of quotes from the movie "Falling Down" with Michael Douglas. Oh wow! We did do that. Of uh, Nick, the Nazi surplus store owner, who <laughs> Michael Douglas event- ends up murdering, and played them through an Akai MPC two thousand uh, that we were. <laughs> That's right. I, I believe I also vocoded them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, yep. You did. I remember that. And uh, I don't know this if was, the, rest assured everybody this this had to happen this was an important thing to do. <laughs> and I don't know if my impressions close but I think my skill was just watching bad movies and enough to where I memorized like lines that stupid characters said. Um so this is um Frederick Forrest as Nick the Nazi surplus store owner showing Michael Douglas a rocket launcher. Now this is why I wanted to show you the real thing. Heat-seeking <laughs> shoulder fire, and it's fucking disposable. You could take a down jumbo jet with one of these bad boys. Oh my god! That's awesome. <laughs> oh, dude, that's so good. I oh, wish. Shit. I don't. I don't even know. That must have been like, uh, like the, a Zounds MPC or something that we used to do. That I wish I, I could get my hands piece, on those. Yes, or, it was a gear wire piece. There you go. I, I wish I could get my hands on those original samples. Uh, Owen, <laughs> you're definitely not listening to this, but if you have them, <laughs> I would love to get those back someday. Uh, all right, that was awesome. And then now here, this is a. I'm not sure how this one's going to go because I think. Uh, I'm, well, we'll just see. This question comes from previous guest Nathan Graham, and he wants to know Ooh. what's. And I and I and I broaden the question a little bit. He he asked, "What's the most petty thing you've ever broken up with somebody for?" But I w- I would broaden it to, "What's the most petty thing you've ever been broken up with for?" Mm. And this could go to either one of you. I know Max, you're a, you're a long term relationshiper here, so I don't even know when the fuck your last one was. Yeah, uh, a while ago. Uh, petty. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, uh, is it considered petty if they just don't like you? <laughs> I think it depends on how cool you are, and yeah. since you're so fucking cool, I feel like yeah, that must have been pretty petty. On yeah, that I'm part. sticking with that answer then. Nice, I love it. Um, and then this is the last one of a couple two randos, which you'll notice is actually more like five. Um, what question should we ask our next guest? All right, um, I had one for this. I spent some time thinking about because I knew it was coming. Nice. Uh, and I couldn't think of a good one until this morning. 
What's the weirdest thing you've ever done in your sleep while you were sleeping? Whoa. Ooh. That's yeah, a good question. Do you, did you ask that question because you've done some weird shit in your sleep? Yeah. Uh, Do you have last that? night, actually. Um, <laughs> like, I used to be a sleepwalker when I was a kid, and um, I, I didn't do anything too crazy. My parents told me I'd always, like, try to go to the bathroom, but go to the wrong door and try to piss in the closet. Nice. Um, and then one time I, like, I was probably eight or nine, I went to the stairs and pretended I was going to just fall down the stairs just so I could steal my dad's chair. But what was uh, what went on last night to spur this is I was having this dream and it was like a really vivid dream that I lived in like uh, an apartment that was U shaped. Um, it was kind of like going into a hotel room and like it's a hallway and then you turn left and then you take another left and that's where the beds were and I was sleeping and. Um, I saw the shadow on the wall, and I saw, like, a rickety guy pushing a shopping cart, and I, my immediate thought in the dream was like, oh, crap, I left the door open, this guy's gonna come in and steal something. So, um, my plan was, like, that I had to stop him, so I went and charged around the hallway, uh, to go and, like, tackle this guy, and I thought, like, I'm gonna make a sound, like, scare him. And in the dream, I yelled this, but I guess I also yelled this in real life, and it woke up my girlfriend, she's like, what the fuck happened? But I just yelled, whoa! <laughs> oh, boy. Oh. She, uh, that lady, she has, a lot to, she has a lot to put up with, doesn't she? Yeah, you should get she her does. on the podcast. She's looking at yeah, me right now. Whole other, whole other situation. Whew. All right. Well, I can't. I can't imagine whoever our next guest is going to be is going to have a better story than that. But <laughs> yeah, you know, that I guess fantastic. that's why we do this, right? All right. So let's uh, let's dive into dive in a little hand practices here. Uh, so as we sort of alluded to already, Josh, Max, and I we've 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 known each other for a while here. Josh, I, we met back in the old college days, and then. And then, like not not long thereafter, we met Max working at the old Embira Technologies. That's right. And uh, have played in bands and stuff together. You know, this I don't need to talk about myself. I don't talk about you guys. Let's talk about hand practices. How did you, what what happened? Like, when did you guys? How did you first get together? When did you start playing together? Was it like 2013? I, I think, think that's right. I can't quite remember, but uh, that sounds right. And then, sort of like, where? Why did you? How did? How did you form the band? When did that? How did that? It's definitely together? a Josh story, so I'm gonna let him take this one. Well, there you go. Like I wrote a bunch of tunes. Um, like I know a lot of people at uh, work would do this uh, RPM challenge where they took February and they'd write like eight tunes or something and put out an album in one month. And I'm, oh, wow. I'm an ungodly slow writer. Like the this album came out, and the last time we released anything was 2014. So I gave myself a little more time. I started in like late November, early December, and I said if I could write an album like by the end of February, that'd be really good for me. So I had like ten songs by the end of February, and I was like, "Hey, I like these." Um, I had no intention of like putting together like a full band. 
Um, I just wanted to kind of record these tracks professionally. Um, and I put out a call and I said, hey, anybody wants to play some instruments on some of these tracks, uh, that'd be great. And I think like 20 to 30 people responded. And, and they all said, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was much more than that who said, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Cowell, we thank you for your interest, but you do not meet our needs at this time. But, <laughs> but yeah, I was like going to people's practice spaces like five or six days a week. And I was like, this sucks. Um, I need like consistent people. So right. the folks who seemed to be the most consistent and wanted to do this most and kind of gelled most with the feeling of the tunes. I was like, let's stick with this. Um, we'll only have to practice like once a week and that'll be great for everybody's schedules. And uh, from there, it was just a lot easier to become a live band and just a permanent band that way. Yeah, I feel like I remember and, you saying, too, that um, uh, Dan Smart, uh, the engineer who um, produced and recorded our first album, um, uh, kind of encouraged you along this path because he had some concerns about how the whole project would gel with a, a you know revolving cast of a bunch of different people on every track. And he knows because... Field Auxiliary was That's originally yeah, Dan Smart <laughs> plus musicians, um, and then that whittled down to like four people who were the same people. Um, so and you were one of those people, indeed. Which that band, for those who don't know, and I might have already bellyached about this at some point in the past. That band was essentially my previous band, and then Josh sort of re- replaced me. But I love Josh, so I was never actually <laughs> mad about it. <laughs> it took me a long time to replace anybody. Like I think. I replaced several people that. Yeah, right. Some sort of revolving door of guitarists playing through boxes. Yeah, I was literally their last choice. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, it's it's where it's always the last place you look, right? It is. Uh, so, sub question: How did you get Max Crow, who is one of the best guitar players I know, oh, to play on. drums in your band? Um. Of the, like, 25 or so people who said, yeah, I'll do it, um, (laughs) most of them were guitarists. Like, Robbie's a guitarist. Um, He didn't really play bass before this, but he was like, I'll play bass just because I want to be on these tunes. Um, I was like, cool, um, because we don't need four guitarists. Uh, Max is the best guitarist in the band by far, but he's also the best drummer in the band, so... (laughs) Uh, and uh, note on that, I am uh, I am competent at uh, at best on the drums. Yeah, and we are the rest of us are incompetent at best on the drums. Right. <laughs> In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is yeah. king. That's right. And I'm competent at best at guitar. Um, so disagree. It works out. Okay, but in comparison to the other people in the band, I'd say Max is far and away the most talented guitarist. Um, and well, we I think the, 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 the sort do. of the, I'll, the I'll larger point here is that there are a lot, there is a lot, there's a lot of talent bursting at the seams in this band, but your songs never sound like a band that has, you know, a bunch of shredders in it. You yeah. Know, it's not guys, a lot of wankery. You, you write, anything. you write tunes. 
Um, which actually I want to mention now that I, th- uh, I almost forgot um, a friend of mine and yours, Mr. Alan Takaoka, a drummer in my old band, amazing musician and, and just person on his own, has texted me twice this week to be like, dude, that new Hand Practices record is fucking awesome. Yeah, he's he's been uh, really vocal about uh, how much he likes it. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, more people need to check it out, and that record is called Magnum Dopus, and I want to talk about that a little bit. First of all, as a fan of weed and Latin puns, excellent job naming the record. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep, that uh, was, uh, where, what from, was the sort of what was the genesis of that brilliant title? Definitely from the brains of Josh Calvillage. Uh, just uh, I don't know. I, I just thought of it like any old pun and said it, and it's like okay, <laughs> that's a good album title. Yeah, it was uh, the the plan to call the album Magnum Dopus was uh, was you know that was part of the plan from the very earliest. Uh, we were talking about doing doing another record after our first one, uh, so that that kind of came fully formed. That's that's it's a wonderful concept, and and personally, selfishly, I've I've really enjoyed listening to it because I've been lucky enough to sort of hear a lot of songs take shape throughout the. How, I mean, that's, I feel like it's been at least over a year, right? How long oh, have you guys been working on the record? Considerably over a year. <laughs> I wrote the last song on that album on New Year's Eve, uh, 2015, going into 2016. Oh wow! So yeah, it's a it's a work. It's been a it's been a, a long labor of love, love, and it and it and you know it shows that the songs sound really good. Not like fussy and overworked, but there there are some really interesting production elements and everything going on. Where did you guys record that at? Recorded it at my house exclusively. Uh, don't think there was anything that wasn't done in this house. So. Uh, um, yeah, I, I've lived in this house since uh, uh, very end of 2014, and um, uh, you know I've been into recording for a long time uh, since I was a teenager. I started off uh, on my uh, my dad had a Tascam 22.4 quarter inch reel to reel four track, nice. and uh, I started off doing that and like razor blade editing and all that stuff. This would have been like the last half of the 90s um, before I, I didn't have access to uh, the kind of computer that you could uh, you know do. Uh, you, you could use for digital audio, and that was kind of just starting to become a possibility at that point. Um, and uh, you know, kind of after that time, uh, early two thousands was when a lot of stuff started to get like kind of affordable and good. And uh, and you know, so I've uh, I've built up my arsenal of uh, of gear and skills just gradually ever since. And uh, um, now that I'm in a place that I can stay for a while, I, I've uh, uh, put some effort into um, you know, kind of building it out a little bit as a recording space. I can't go nuts with that because it is primarily a uh, a, a dwelling, a residence. Right, I can't right. I can't just invade every nook and cranny uh, with my gear. But I've uh, I've certainly taken over <laughs> chunks of it, and um, it's been fun to uh, kind of acquaint myself with what the possibilities are just of the space. You know, it's not a big house. It's it's your basic kind of. Uh, uh, Chicago, one and a half story, a frame, single family house. So it's okay. not a lot yeah. of square feet. Um, but no, like but neighbors and that kind of stuff. I mean, as far as we, like someone else in the building or anything. No, there, yeah, nobody else in the building. It's a it's a pretty good spot because we have uh, we have a house on the other side of us, but there's an alley between us. Nice. Um, and so they can you know they can hear when I'm playing drums and stuff, but they they seem okay with it. Um, although now they have two kids, so uh, I try to. Uh, uh, I try to uh, take that into account when I'm uh, when I decide to make a racket, but sure. um, but I don't think it's too bad there. And then on the other side of us is the highway, uh, which is um, well, it's the metro tracks and then the highway, so that's good in that there's only 
uh, you know, we, we can't, we're, we're not going to make anybody mad with noise on that end. It's bad in that uh, that creates a lot of noise that can get on your recordings if you're not careful. Right. So that's a thing to work around. But, um, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun learning the possibilities of the space and, you know, trying to be creative with, um, uh, with what I can do. And as an example of that, I, I've discovered a really cool thing. Um, it's just... I think this was just an idea that I had. I thought, ah, I might, I bet this would work. Uh, this might sound cool. There's one song in the record um, called "Existential Bullshit" that uh, you know kind of kind of needed a lot of like big energy for the second chorus. Um, it's just a um, you know verse, chorus, verse, chorus, outro kind of song. So the second chorus really needed to be the climax and um, the uh, uh, Robbie, the bass player, was over here one day tracking something. And I said, "Hey, uh, let's let's put some hand claps on this." Uh, and uh, my wife Amber contributed too. And what I did was I uh, I opened the door to my office. The kitchen is out there, and, and it's uh, like a tile floor, uh, drywall, uh, pretty high ceilings. Uh, I stuck an Omni condenser mic on the kitchen table, um, left the door open so it would catch the reverb of our claps, and then I recorded it sped up. So when we played it back, everything was pitched down just a little bit, right. and cool. it sounded like uh, like a, you know, we did a bunch of passes of it, and it sounded like a, a stadium of people clapping. It was <laughs> it, it came came out better than I could possibly have hoped. That's a neat little trick that we're gonna totally steal and use ourselves. Yep. Yeah, I encourage that's you. A, yeah, try a, a if nice you want. Idea. If you're you know if you only have a small space to record in, and you you want to get that kind of Steve Albini type, like big room, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, live kind of sound. Uh, there's some things you can do with uh, with pitching stuff down th- to kind of create that illusion a little bit. Mm-hmm. Dude, I don't ever do that, and now I'm totally going to. Yep. Sounds fun. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the recording process. How um, how did you guys sort of approach it? I mean, obviously you mentioned, and I know what your space is sort of set up like, uh, just in terms of separation, everything. Were you doing? Was there any sort of live tracking? Was it all overdubbed? How did you How did you handle that part of it? It was mostly live. Um, we made sure to get all the. I wanted to get all the basic tracks uh, live. I've never had what I thought were great results um, uh, putting recordings of a band together strictly through overdubs. Um, right. I've always felt like I've gotten a much better energy uh, if the band can all play together, if at all possible. Um, and I'm, you know, more than willing to accept some sonic compromises if, uh, if that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, yeah, what we did was, uh, there's a room upstairs in my house that's off the bedroom, uh, which is where I keep my drums. And so I was set up in there. So was the, uh, Robbie, the bass player. And so he was in the room with me and I put a, uh, a two by 10 bass cabinet in the closet and a microphone on that. Uh, so, you know, that was, I also had a DI on him for safety, but basically just ended up using the, um, using the amp tracks. Um, uh, for his amp, I used, uh, I have a, uh, one of those Ignator tweaker heads, um, just a little 15 watt head. And, um, that works pretty, the, like the Fender style setting on that works pretty good as a bass amp. Mm -hmm. And he plays through a, a basement anyway. So that was, you know, he was pretty much at home tonally. So had that going on, and then in the in the kind of the control room, like the little office off the kitchen where I'm sitting right now, um, uh, Josh and Pat were set up in there. I cut a hole in my floor so I could run cables down to the basement, nice. and uh, yeah, both of their did. amps were set up in there. 
Uh, so we got pretty decent separation, obviously, with the, you know, two guitars. So I had the, the two amps down there placed, you know, kind of distantly and, you know, sort of strategically to, uh, so they'd be in each other's, uh, you know, null points in the microphones. And I, I, I put a room mic down there uh, just for ambience. I don't think I ended up really using that. Um, so there's there's certainly bleed. You can definitely hear um, on the bass tracks bleed from the drums, but you know bleed is good in my opinion. It all uh, it, it helps things cohere, mm-hmm. and so uh, yeah, we we captured basics, um, got that all sounded pretty good, and uh, did plenty of overdubbing as well. Uh, I mean, we didn't do um, we didn't track vocals live. We did all that uh, after sure. the fact. Uh, I added some synthesizer and some yeah, you know you just did. some <clears throat> ear candy. Some of that arp. Um, yeah, my dad actually uh, contributed to this too. My my dad is an old uh, analog synthesizer enthusiast from like way back, uh, and um, ever since I was a little kid, he's owned an ARP twenty six hundred, and uh, you know I remember playing on that a lot as a kid way before I knew what to really do with it. And he's big into uh, making these sort of like self generating uh, soundscapes. Uh, the uh, twenty six hundred is real good at that kind of thing because you can like set up patterns that that sort of trigger stuff and uh and you know kind of make this like self self-generating music if you want to call it music it's sort of more like an audio sculpture um <laughs> and uh so he's into doing this this kind of thing and josh was aware of that and josh was keen to to get my dad uh involved in this because my my dad has been a uh, a very generous uh booster of the band um you know back when uh we were playing shows when you can do that he would every chance he got he would drive in from Iowa, you know, five, five and a half hour drive. And, wow. uh, if it was like a, you know, weekend show or, or close to a weekend, uh, he would, you know, take a couple of days off work and, and come see the show and hang out. That's awesome, man. I always had nothing but, uh, nothing but, uh, effusive praise for, uh, for what we were doing and, and, uh, you know, real, really likes the guys in the band and everything. So, uh, it was really cool to be able and also to a really a uh, really good Twitter follow as well. Yes, my dad is uh, pretty excellent on Twitter. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's at uh, Merle Crow M Y R L C R O W E. Check him out. If you do anything from this episode, fuck listening to Magnum Dopus. Go follow Max's dad on Twitter. <laughs> he really yeah, is the but also listen to Magnum Dopus. the heart and soul of this band. I'm glad we got him on theirs. Yeah, yeah. that's really cool. He's, he's inspiration in many ways. And I wanted to ask, I really like, I mean, of course I like a lot of the sounds on the record. What, um, what were you, how did you, how did you mic up the snare? What was the, what was the sort of signal chain like for that? Yeah. So for uh, snare, uh, what I generally like to do is, um, I have, uh, an SM57 that I took the transformer out of the famous, uh, tape op mod. Oh yeah. Um, and, uh, that has been, that has been my only snare mic pretty much ever since I, I did that. I, I, I did that procedure. I don't know, 2005, 2006, or something like that. And I've tried lots of other of the usual suspects on snare ever since then and have never found anything that that gives the same kind of punch as that mic has. Um, uh, so that's that's kind of my, my secret weapon on that. Um, I position it. I tend to go for a position where the edge of the mic is sort of uh, more or less flush with the rim of the drum, um, and the uh, body of the mic is parallel with the drum head, so it's sort of you know pointing across the drum uh, at the drummer. Um, I also uh, I mic the shell. Um, I used to mic the underside, and I've uh, within the past few years I've I've sort of more switched to 
um, to doing the shell of the drum because that mm-hmm. gives mm. you, I, I've always found that mic and the underside can get a little bit buzzy. And, um, you know, I'd always have to... It's like to, all snare wire, pretty much. Yeah, it's all snare wire. you got to kind of EQ it a bunch. When you mm-hmm. mic the shell, you get just enough of that snare buzz to, to do what you want that to do and kind of, like, add some presence to the snare hits and, and you know, make the make the ghost notes come through and that kind of thing. Interesting. Um, but you also get some, uh, some of the note of the drum. Um, so uh, that's what I was doing for mics. For, um, as far as signal chain, I have... Um, I'm trying to remember if I got this unit. I don't think I had this unit the whole time that we uh, for for uh, for every track on the record. I think I might have gotten this midway through. Uh, but in the '90s, uh, uh, PV, everybody's favorite music electronics corporation, put out a couple uh, a couple of actual like you know sort of high end p- uh, pieces of studio gear. Uh, the sort of more common one is the mic preamp, uh, the VMP2, uh, which is a uh, an all-tube mic preamp. And there was a, uh, a compressor slash limiter that went with it that was basically like two LA-2As in a box. Um, a little bit different design, but, but more or less the same thing. And um, uh, I don't think I did this for tracking, but for mix down, uh, that's right. Yeah, I use it on mix down, so it is on every track. Uh, that fattens up a snare like you wouldn't believe hmm. um you just get this great kind of use it in series um uh i uh oh no i don't use them in series yeah i just use one channel of it um oh, okay. so I, i'd have one channel uh doing snare and the other channel doing vocals because as you might imagine it's excellent on vocals too um oh, yeah. but uh yeah there was actually one song where i uh i couldn't use it because it made the snare too big i had to use a different compressor that didn't add so much weight it was um, too badass for that exactly song. Exactly, it was. Yeah, yeah. it's a good I problem it, to have. Yeah, I sent that mix to a friend of mine, and and uh, and I was like, "Oh man, this sounds great!" And he was like, "Yeah, you might want to tone down the snare a little <laughs> bit." It's not a uh, your cover of "Pour Some Sugar on Me." Uh, yeah. Well, that's the secret track. Um, I guess it's not a secret. You gotta anymore. play it backwards. It's, it's really be, hard it's to before uh, the yeah. first song. Yeah, it's really hard to have a secret track on a on a vinyl record. I guess you could do the locked groove. Yeah, or or no, not the locked groove, the it's um the the spiral thing, the concentric whatever. Yeah, and the I think there was the the one Jack White record where it was like under the label. Oh wow, no way, uh, really? I haven't heard about that one. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, but then you got to He also did another one where there was a seven inch inside a twelve inch, but you had to destroy the twelve inch <laughs> to get to the seven inch. <laughs> wow. Jesus. Um, Josh, I want to know a little bit about one of my favorite songs on the record, which I know also has a bumper sticker. Um, but I noticed that. So I uh, historically, this song, and in my mind, has been known as Ted Nugent is a pussy. But I've noticed that the record on the Spotify is just Ted N is a pussy. Tell us about this. What's going on there? Oh, this is news to me. A distro kid who we used to put all the stuff on different sites says makes you check a checkbox that says I haven't used any other artist's name in, like, the song title uh, or the... Really? Yeah. Um, and I'm really a stickler for rules, so... <laughs> um, Rest s- assured, the canonical name of the song remains Ted Nugent is a pussy. Yeah, and if you... Yeah. On the back of the record, it says Nugent. On the uh, handpractices.com band camp, it says... Uh, Ted Nugent. Um, right, because Bandcamp is the Wild West. They'll let you do anything. Yeah, they don't. Give a shit. 
they don't have a checkbox, uh, which is yeah, great. They have a it's, uh, it's they're all you about. You would have checked it as a rule follower. Yeah, they're they're all about artistic freedom there. But I mean, I want my tunes to successfully be and stay on such sites as uh, Apple Music and Deezer and whatever else DistroKid. iHeartRadio. Yeah, iHeartRadio. Right. I assume we're on title. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Getting like. Point zero zero seven cents a play instead of, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that's actually I'm glad you brought that up. That's something I wanted to ask about because I've noticed that I don't know if this is just like a, a, a long term process mm-hmm. or something, but I, I've, you've mentioned that you're actually giving away vinyl copies of the record. Is that like to anybody, or is that just like your friends? And sub question: How do I get a? Yeah, copy? can I have one, please? Uh, it's to anyone who doesn't make me ship the record. So if you. Come and like get one from me in person, so I don't have to go to FedEx. I will give you the record because, um, I mean, we all have jobs with computers that pay us enough money to live uh, fairly comfortably. Um, and for me, music isn't about making money. It's something that's fun for me to do. And if people want a record, like if I could have only ordered ten copies and not had to deal with like trying to sell right. them to people or whatever I would have and given everybody in the band like a couple copies and that would have been that but yeah um you yeah, can't do realistically that. to to recoup our uh our cost even having recorded it ourselves uh to to recoup the cost of having the the small run made we would have had to charge uh kind of an absurd amount for the yeah. record so it's a lot more uh interesting to us to to just get them in people's hands yeah, I love that, and been there, done that. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I was gonna say, in the hole for a handful of records I've pressed. In I don't my think life, so. I don't think you're ever in a band unless you have boxes of copies of records somewhere. Yep. In your <laughs> I used to use boxes of old CDs as monitor stands. Exactly. <laughs> what I found though is that most of my friends, since we're all in our like uh, late thirties, mid thirties, um, are comfortable enough where like. They're like, no, let me give you $20 for this. And neither of us need the $20, but neither of us want to be like asked to like have to make a trip somewhere to do something. So (laughs) everyone who's wanted a record, um, and uh, you mentioned Alan Takaoka before, I asked him like, hey, are you still in the city? You can just pick one up. And he said, nah, I'm in the suburbs. Uh, I was like, God damn it. So I ordered (laughs) like shipping boxes and I saw Max, you posted on uh, Facebook that like, you would be kind enough to like ship the records to your friends who wanted them so yeah i got a lot of i got some british friends who have expressed interest so i'm going to uh, try to make that happen yeah that i don't know how much shipping is to that so i uh, ordered well, they're going to pay for it i ordered a bunch of uh shipping boxes and i'll eventually like come up with a, how much uh i think it should cost like for shipping plus like the effort for me to go to FedEx and that's how much they can be. $50. $100. Well, uh, Henry, now a word from our sponsor, stamps.com. Postage on demand. Print your own postage and shipping labels in seconds. Stamps are, in times like these, stamps are more important than ever. You don't want to make a trip to the post office, so use stamps.com. And back to you guys. But you you will want to make a trip to the post office office for Magnum Dopus because it's fucking dope. Damn right. Um, I want. Who did the artwork? Oh, um, that is my good friend Pat Horvath. Uh, this is a guy I've known since college. Uh, super cool dude. Uh, he's been in a couple uh, bands that uh, that I've recorded. Um, really great bands. Um, 
there, there was one called the Ten Commandments when I was in college. I recorded a record for them on my little uh, uh, kind of rudimentary uh, uh, setup that I had at the time. And then, uh, uh, then it was, that was a trio, and uh, later on they were a duo uh, called Jacko Wilder and the Serrated Blades. And uh, nice. I did some recordings for them. We never really finished up, but they were they uh, they came out cool. So anyway, he's uh, uh, he's in the film business. So he moved out to L.A. He's also an extremely talented visual artist. Um, and there's another follow. Uh, I don't know his Twitter handle off the top of my head, but um, but you can definitely find it if you go to my dad's Twitter because my dad reti- retweets all of his drawings. Uh, he like once a day does these crazy like colored pencil like surreal uh like kind of uh not quite comic book art but but something in that uh in that sort of vein anyway um uh yeah i uh uh i thought it would be great to uh to get some art from him because i've always loved what he does and uh um uh uh yeah it just so happened i was able to meet up with him and discuss it a little bit because uh, i went out to los angeles in february to see mr bungle and uh met up with him and and kind of hashed some things out and uh you know he pretty much got what we were trying to go for pretty quick and uh and yeah it didn't take a lot of revisions for uh uh for us to get something that we thought was pretty rad oh yeah yeah it's it is pretty rad go look at it if you haven't seen it already and if and, and if i'm not mistaken in in true proper uh magnum dopus fashion I, it, it is green vinyl is it not it is oh, green yeah, yeah translucent, oh, translucent green. green baby Ooh. I haven't seen one in person yet. It looks super cool in the pictures. I gotta go over to Josh's and pick up a few. That's how unwilling people are to come pick up records for free. <laughs> like nobody in the band has come to pick up the records. Robbie has Pandemic, said yeah. he was gonna come pick up the records and then just did not show. Um, <laughs> Max, you and Pat have not like made any attempt to say this is when I would like to come and pick up the records. So yeah, guilty. Um, I'm I'm not the only one who's listened to them. Um, Amanda brought a copy to her aunt, so her aunt, well, Amanda, who lives here, picked up a record. <laughs> uh, when she just lift, you, by picked it up, you mean she lifted it off of a table? Actually, she was like, eh, I don't know. It sounds like too much work. She took one and put it in her record crate. Um, there you go. So, yeah, there are three copies out, only 97 left for distribution. Um, yes. Well, earmark two of those. Well, Mister David and Senior Senior yes. David and Mister Henry would like I them. absolutely want one. I will see you, Henry, whenever we get yeah. that Jet City. Um, yeah, we're gonna go to Jet City together. Just another oh, yeah. another note for longtime uh, Gearbuds uh, and formerly Gearhunks podcast that the shitty shitty practice space that Henry's <laughs> trashing all the time oh, no. that's our practice space. <laughs> It's coming back, really? Oh wow! I'll bust it, dude. Let's get into that for a second. <laughs> that was episode one, uh, and I and you know what? You I'll stand it up by last week I, again too. I think. <laughs> I, but I also I also said I also said that I felt nostalgia leaving there and sort of sad, even though it wasn't my practice space. But that the 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 smell was real, the and I was happy was to have a there. mask on. Man, I took a I took a pair of uh, biodynamic headphones out of there that nobody seemed to want, and. Uh, the foam around the ear cups uh, is very slowly losing that smell, but it is still there. (laughs) 
right up in your grill. Oh, you know what? I hey, I, I feel, yes, maybe I have done a little bit of a, a bashing. I it's well I'm deserved. Sorry if I heard oh, any it's, oh, yeah. it's it's all in uh, it's all in fun. But I feel like I was fair and balanced at the very yeah. least. And, uh, and I and yeah. and I was not above uh, you know absconding with quite a bit of gear that is now being put to use in my practice space. So you know I'm all about it. The thing about it is you go there and you, the smell hits you and you know you don't have COVID, so nobody's jabbing <laughs> at the back of your throat, <laughs> right? You know, I'm. I, I literally test. had the thought. I I, I want to take a picture of the the front of that space and then just send yeah send it to all the people that have ever been in there, which is basically just our friends, and say like if you've ever been in this space, you are immune to COVID. Right. Like, that's just that's just how it is. Definitely, if you've ever taken a dump in there. <laughs> <laughs> so that mean, that means all the rats that have been shitting in there are, are immune for life for yeah. sure. So was that uh, was well, that where you guys moving uh, on up? What was that where you guys rehearsed? Uh, I, w- I wanted to ask you actually when you record a record over, I guess what is it four years or something? Let's say like the writing process. How does that go when you have to rehearse for it? I mean, do you have to relearn these songs or, or do you just kind of write them over again or what? Um, so it starts out like I'll write the skeletons of the songs and record them just on my like shitty setup at home, and I'll put them on like soundcloud um and they're all publicly available like the first demos of these songs so oh, that's it's cool just me like recording um sometimes the bass sometimes not but there's no drums on it there's mm-hmm. some mic on a guitar uh like a laney cub 10 like apartment size tube amp um and just like vocals on it so you get these raw skeletons of songs and like I make everyone like listen to them, and then we jam on them for a while while everybody um, kind of fine tunes their parts and comes up with like what they want to play on it. Um, right. And like we've been playing them out live for the entire time. Um, okay, we've been recording so it's like it. Old hat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so some, some more than others because there were some of the more. There's a couple of. Uh, of songs in there that gave us particular difficulty as a band, and those were certainly still coming together, um, uh, you know, well after we had started recording. Stuff yeah, for well, because I was going to say because you were into the um, like the whole live, you know, the live take thing. That's a lot of pressure for a band to get together and you know re- like hit that one good take because you don't want to do six takes if you're doing it live. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. it it gets old pretty fast. <laughs> we yeah, probably so. did six takes on most of these songs. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's enough. definitely comping involved in these. Um, oh, okay. Um, uh, you know, to the degree that we could, and some punch ins. Um, but most of the most of what made it to the record. I think was primarily one take with, you know, maybe a few comps um, yeah. inserted from, but that's also, you know, a little bit fraught because uh, when you're doing it that way, you can't just comp the drums. you got to comp everybody, Yep. you know, like whatever the other guys were doing at the time that uh, you want to fly in that drum thing also has to work out and, you know, match and everything. So Absolutely. it does kind of limit what you can do. Um, so we did have to try our best to get mostly good takes for sure. Nice. Get good. Um, hell yeah. So before we go, there are a couple things that I would be remiss if I did not, um, at least briefly mention. The first thing is that, uh, Max's previous project in which he was driving force and singer and guitar player and such was, had, had possibly my favorite band name of all time. And that is genital Hercules. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what happened to the shirt that, but was also one of my favorite shirts. And I'll just quickly describe it was, uh, some sort of, kind of interesting looking animated character with like a weird head but then um sticking out of his fly of his pants was an arm flexing 
Oh yeah. yeah. So um, that I, I I I it was impossible for me to wear that shirt without someone being like, "What the fuck is that, dude?" <laughs> mm-hmm. It was also Second, sky blue. It was the it was color sky of the blue shirt. indeed. Wow. I bet I still have it somewhere, but I'm probably too fat for it now. I think that's probably what happened. That was uh, uh, artist on that was my uh, good friend Luke Tweedy, proprietor of Flat Black Studios in uh, Southeast Iowa. Uh, so shout out to him. I d- and all of our Southeast Iowa listeners. I definitely have one of those shirts, and I am definitely still, or I'm definitely big, too big to wear it now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, second thing that I wanted to say before we get out of here is that uh, we sort of uh, touched on it a little bit earlier, but um, I also used to play in a band with these two guys, and that band was called also had a pretty excellent name, thanks to Josh, and that was the Sacred Robe of the Ancient Psychedelic Monks. Uh, yeah. And so um, this is where I'm putting you on the spot because I, at some point when we were we were talking about maybe you know doing the sort of proverbial get the band back together, it was like, hey, we've got to finish this record that we're working on, and then maybe we'll finish that other record that we started making ten years ago. Yeah. Well, guess what, motherfuckers? Magnum <laughs> Dopus is out. Right, but there's this pandemic, and so you know uh, that. Kind of, <laughs> but you know, uh, I'm 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 sort of kidding because I, I do think it would be cool to do that, and uh, I think. You know, all of us when we we hadn't listened to that that uh, you know beginnings of a of a little record that we had started to record for years, and even though uh, uh, you know uh, I've uh, developed some you know recording skills since then, gotten some new gear and all, and whatnot, I thought this stuff on there sounded pretty cool, a lot cooler than I was expecting it to. I would say yeah. from an outside oh. perspective, I have listened to the Dropbox link of the Sacred Robes tracks, and they sound fucking excellent. And I actually, I told Henry, I was like, if you guys need a bass player, and then I listened to it, and I was like, never mind. I can't play <laughs> the Owen parts, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Owen was a pretty excellent bass player. Yeah. Uh, great, great, great I know musician. there was one song that definitely involved a, a bunch of tapping, so that would be a yeah. Yeah. I'm one out. Bass. <laughs> I'm out, dude. <laughs> But, uh, but you know yeah. what? I just feel like now, what but what better time than now for us all, with all of our home remote recording setups to maybe try to dust some of these things off? I will That's say true. that because um, Josh is way better at remembering stuff than me. Uh, I will. I'll need some help re- relearning my parts. I had definitely forgotten uh, uh, most of the finer points of uh, of any of that material, so that was made it a lot of fun to hear it again. I remember a lot of it, and some of it I remember how it's supposed to be played and my skills have like diminished to the point where I can't do it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's something to practice for right now, I guess. Uh, But I will say that the, um, we, we were sort of, I guess, smart enough to use a a flip camera to record one of our shows, one of the two shows we ever played. Was it the mutiny show? Um, Yeah. That was the mutiny show. I think I saw Uh, that. I was at that show, I think pretty sure i've show i've sent i know i one time me you and and mandy dave's wife got drunk and i showed you guys that on youtube oh that's that's what happened i wasn't actually uh, there I just, it, no, it just it felt like it. It. yeah i felt yeah uh, that's how yeah. that's how good it was you guys just pulled me no right that's in. dude that shows like altamont or something like you know there were really only like 40 people there but like 500 people claimed that they were there <laughs> it's, it's the same sort of uh situation and, and unfortunately the mutiny no, now no longer even yeah. exists all right so. Uh, but you know what? I feel like sometime at some point we might have to put that link up there somewhere in the world because I'm gonna tell you yeah. what. Even though it's just like a shitty handheld recording, they're pretty fucking rad. It's a pretty sweet setup. And, and I, don't I don't think I've ever played a show that got that great of an audience reception uh, as that show. Especially that at the was Mutiny, blast. I mean, that's a tough crowd usually at that place. You know, so that's a good yeah. one to play. Oh, the Mutiny is one of my favorite places. I know, man. I I miss that mm-hmm. place so much. No kidding. Where else can you get a plastic pitcher of PBR for five bucks? 
Well, boys, that was fucking awesome. Thank you so much for spending some time on your weekend here. Oh, yeah, wait, I had a great us. time. This was this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm where, psyched uh, about this. Thanks, man. Hell yeah. Where should where should we send our fine friends and folks to go check out more stuff about hand practices? Handpractices.com. Yep. Bam. And then you I you mentioned the stuff's on Bandcamp. I, I don't I guess I'm guessing eventually you'll have like a for sale link and sub and such for people to to get that sweet vinyl. Yeah, or like Facebook.com slash hand practices, whatever we are on Facebook. Just message yeah. us there because um I'll probably have a link up on the Bandcamp to how to buy it soon, but um, maybe I want to circumvent Bandcamp completely um, and just work out some like untrustworthy system where it's just like, hey, Venmo me 20 bucks and give me your address and I'll send it to you at some point. Nice. Yeah, the price is definitely going to fluctuate a lot. Yeah. That's right. All right, dudes. Well, stay safe, stay healthy. Love all y'all. Uh, thanks for doing this, and uh, you know, keep on keeping on. Hey, nice meeting you guys. Too. Yeah, I'll right, do the nice same. To to you. Hell yeah! All right, you can stop recording. And oh, was I yeah, supposed to be recording? Oh shit! Yeah, <laughs> that has happened. <laughs>